<laughs> until like nine every day. Oh my god, that oh that's nothing. I was up until two thirty last night. Wow. Uh, I I don't know if you knew this about me, Tim, but I am now an online gamer. No, I did not. <laughs> you have like uh, Twitch or something? No, I'm not. I'm not streaming. Um, but uh, Aaron, me, uh, I don't know if you ever heard us talk about our other friend Teddy uh, and a couple of other people were playing. Uh, uh, well, we st- just us started off playing Risk at like 8:30 because there's a really cool version of Risk that you can buy on Steam, and then uh, we ended up playing Among Us with uh, some other guys until 2:30. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I downloaded Among Us, but I never, I never, I think I like played the tutorial and I was like, uh, I don't know. I probably would, will suck at this. I can already. Oh my God. It's so fun. There's no skill. There's no skill involved. I mean, there's some, like you have to, any, like you have to talk to other people and other people are like dependent on you for things. And I'm just not good at that kind of stuff. I mean, once you, once you play like once or twice, it's, it's really fun. Like our entire friend group, like all played it for the first time all together. And now we're all, I, I wouldn't say we're pros by any means, but we, we all know like a, a lot of the, the intricacies of playing. Yeah. I would probably either just get killed right away or get everybody angry because I would always <laughs> vote the wrong way and then just get more people. Killed. <laughs> yeah. Everyone, everyone gets their roles and we just hear Tim go, Hey guys, what's imposter mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, and, or I'd like, you know, like, you know what? I, it's it's not me, but vote me out. Uh, that's fine. Give <laughs> me right in this face. You know. <laughs> Maybe you guys should do it because I'm just going to ruin everything. <laughs> <laughs> I can just tell. Is that that kind of collaborative game? I'm just, just not going to be good at. I would probably be well, a worse you... imposter because I just feel bad killing everybody. If you ever want to give it a try and you just want to play like l- very low stakes, you can play with uh, with Aaron and me and, and our group before you uh, throw yourself <laughs> to the wolves of anonymous online play. <laughs> um, the, I think the gang gets into Among Us would be a great Seinfeld <laughs> 2000 episode. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how it would play out because I don't know enough about the game. But it's not, like all, all of their personalities would do pretty well. You know, would are so well developed yeah. that they would. Well, they would have certain did, styles of gameplay that would be funny to did, gamers. Insert joke here. <laughs> did you ever play the card game Mafia? No. Okay. Never mind. I, I think I've heard of it. Yeah, it's it's a lot like that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it reminds me of. I mean, there was a, there's an old. I mean, going back to like summer camp games, it reminds me of the game. Where like one person, like you're sitting in a circle. I don't remember what it's called, like serial killer or something like that. And one person in the circle is the serial killer, and you don't know who it is. But if you make eye contact with them and they wink at you or something, then you're dead. <laughs> um, that's that's very very similar to Mafia. Yeah, and, and so you're trying to figure out, you know, you're trying to keep an eye on who's winking at who, who's looking at who, you know, in a group of like 20 people. Um, and yeah. then someone drops dead, and you're like, oh, crap, I wasn't looking at anybody. Or you do make eye contact <laughs> with somebody, and then you're dead. Or you eventually see the killer kill somebody, and you can you can call them out. You can call them sus. Oh, my God. <laughs> the, the the first time we played, I, I, I think I was the first one to think of, like, calling someone sus. And then we were all just like, sus, 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 sus. <laughs> yeah, as much as I, I have never played, I love Among Us memes. I'll, I'll look at those all day. <laughs> I like those. <laughs> Um, all right, should we get started? Might as well. 
All right, welcome to No Hugging, No Learning. It's a show about one thing, watching Seinfeld for the first time. I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Hollowell. And today we will be talking about The Doll, Season 7, Episode 16. But before that, we did have some homework from the previous episode, The Showerhead. And the main thing we wanted to know, the only bit of homework we had, is can you fail a drug test by eating a simple poppy seed bagel or a poppy seed chicken? And according to the National Institute on Drug Abuse, which is part of the NIH... You can, Ted. I can't believe this, but it's totally true. See, I remember hearing something about this a long time ago, and uh, I-, I want to say that it was on Mansers. Uh-huh. And I-, I don't remember, like, what they found, but I- I'm sure with their... I'm not even going to attempt the over-exaggerated voiceover guy here because uh, Grace is having a COVID nap across the hall. But uh, I-, I think they were just finding out, that, like... You can test positive on a drug test from eating poppy seeds. Or something I thought like for that. sure this was going to be like an urban legend or something that like, you know, some, no, something that. This is real. That, yeah. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, we, we both thought it was sus last week. We were like, I think we're going to find <laughs> out that this is, this is not true, that you're going to have to eat a million poppy seeds to test positive for any sort of narcotic. <laughs> is it uh, really that low, though? Like you, you don't have to eat many at all? No. Uh, So here we go. This is from the, uh, like I said, the National Institute on Drug Abuse. Although poppy seeds used in food are produced legally, they can contain high enough levels of the opioid to trigger a positive result on some types of drug urine tests. Once poppy seeds are eaten, the body develops detectable levels almost immediately. What? Uh, They did. I did reference. I do remember at the end of the episode referencing that we were going to do a little Mythbusters on this. And of course, they have done an episode already um, Uh because it's just that great of an urban legend. they did an episode in 2003 showing that you can test positive for opiates as soon as two hours after eating a poppy seed loaded <laughs> item, whatever it is. Uh, other studies have shown that the levels remain elevated for up to three days. Oh so you my could have God. a bagel on Friday and like fail your drug test on Monday. Jesus Christ, that's yeah. awful. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, so uh, federal prisoners, in fact are forbidden to eat foods that contain poppy seeds. And, like, if you get released, for or whatever reason, if you get on uh, probation or parole, you have to say, I'm not going to eat anything with poppy seeds so that it, you know, so that your drug test doesn't come back with a false positive. Jesus uh, I didn't Christ. know that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> over the past 20 years, legal cases by law enforcement officials, workers, athletes, students, uh, caught for positive urine tests have made famous the poppy seed bagel defense. A series of lawsuits and evolving research have proven that an individual's urine can indeed produce a positive test result for opiates after the person eats poppy seed containing cakes, muffins, or bagels. In one large study, up to 87% of tests considered positive for opiate use were due in part to poppy seeds in foods as well as prescription medications. 87% were just poppy seed tests. Yeah, and that's, that, they say that's a large study. And when the NIH says a large study, like they mean, you know, thousands and thousands of people. Yeah, yeah. They found 87% were because of poppy seeds. Uh, and when positive test results are proven to have been uh, due to eating poppy seeds, they are overturned, as happens to Elaine. Uh, more accurate measurement of opiate levels can be done by analyzing blood or hair sample. And those tests, of course, cost more, but, you know, they might be used. used it would have been useful for the doctor when Elaine went back for that second test. For the yeah. doctor to go, okay, you know what? Let's do hair this time because you know that the the what we're looking for stays in the hair a lot longer, and we don't. Let's just double check. But no, he just decided to do urine again because he's a bad mm-hmm. doctor. So I'm I'm kind of surprised that uh, that we learned something like this from Seinfeld. But there you go. 
I did have some uh, other trivia and tidbits from the episode as well. Low flow shower heads being installed in Jerry's apartment was one of the first story ideas episode co-writer Peter Melman submitted for Seinfeld back in 1991. And then mm-hmm. five years later, the episode finally made it. Jesus. I love that they did use that, though, because I'll so often come up with an idea for something. And in the moment, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. And then my enthusiasm <laughs> for it fades to the point where I'm like, why bother? You know, it's like, because I feel like like I've been thinking about it for so long. Everybody else has, too. So, yeah, yeah but that, that's not I, true. <laughs> I, I feel like that's me whenever I get a good idea for a tweet. Yeah. <laughs> Like I'll I'll like just be so ready to hit yes. tweet on something stupid. I'll add it to my drafts and I'll go back to it like an hour later and I'll be like, "This isn't funny. What are you doing?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll I'll type mine all out and then like rearrange it. So <laughs> like the structure is like the perfect joke and then I'm yeah. like, "Nah, it sucks. Not nah, nah." Yeah, I wish I knew how to not do that, especially for like creative endeavors like tweets or or you know, doing a radio show or whatever because you know, like like SNL too. It's like sometimes they'll. This is something that um, you know Pete Holmes always brings up when he talks to people from SNL. Like they'll if they if a sketch doesn't make it past Lorne or whoever does, you know, if it doesn't make it past the just the pile on the first uh-huh. week, th- th- it's gone forever. And it's like really very rare that someone will like resubmit it week after week. And sometimes that happens, and then it works, and then it's like one of those sketches that goes down in history is great. But um, or or maybe it's just forgotten. Whatever, whatever the case is, it's it, you know it it um it made it to air, and it's like if I'm I'm more of the you know type of personality where I'm like, all right, well I tried that, I put a lot of work into it, but you know now, like now I'm not as enthusiastic about it, so it must not be a good idea. Wow, I I didn't know that all the all the sketches that weren't picked for air were just thrown out. Yeah, I mean, they, they, you know, the writer can resubmit it, but it's like just an unwritten rule that you hmm. don't, you know, but but I mean, so, some people do. Maybe that's not such an unwritten rule anymore, but yeah, it's like just because you hear stories where, you know, like, oh, I, I submitted this to blah, 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 I submitted this to blah, 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 and then finally this host liked it, so we did it, and, and it was great or whatever, but. Is, um, it, is it is it the host that picks out the sketches and then Lauren has final say on that? Do you know? I, I want to say it's mostly the writers, but I think the host has a lot to do with it, because I know they have that big meeting in the, in the beginning of the week where mm-hmm. like, everybody is literally sitting on the floor of Lauren's office, like, pitching stuff. You know, and so I and I, I think it's at that point the host can go, oh, yeah, that's funny, let's do that. But I think at the end of the day, maybe Lorne is, you know, just, just God Emperor of the whole thing. So I bet <laughs> even if the host likes something, Lorne can veto it. But I don't know. Yeah, I, really I, I know. bet. Uh, a scene showing Jerry trying out his new high-pressure shower head, a companion to the end scene with Kramer, was filmed but deleted before broadcast. No idea why, but it, it is out there. And I think we wondered why... You know, Jerry. We saw we saw Kramer do it, but not not, not Jerry. Yeah, um, they must have had time or something. Uh, <laughs> Del Boca Vista, where the Seinfelds have moved now uh, in this episode, translates to view of the mouth. Just uh, yeah, that's all. <laughs> Del Boca Vista. View of the mouth. View of the mouth. Yeah, all I wonder right. if it means like mouth of the river or something like that, or whether they just thought it all sounded. <laughs> there's rivers in yeah. There's plenty of rivers in Florida. What am I talking about? Oh yeah. <laughs> uh yeah so maybe that's what maybe that's what they were thinking i don't know where they came up with the name but uh in the season five episode two the puffy shirt george tells jerry that his mother has never laughed ever and later even in that episode jerry wants to tell her a joke and she says i'm not interested but in this episode the showerhead estelle laughs at jerry's joke backstage at the tonight show 
Estelle goes, oh, Jerry, I don't know how you could do this. I'm so nervous for you. And Jerry goes, actually, I'm drunk. So this might be <laughs> Estelle's first time laughing ever. <laughs> Thank you to IMDB for that bit of trivia. <laughs> That's great. Oh, my God. Yeah. I think we witnessed Estelle's very first time <laughs> laughing. Uh, and no one really, you know, no one really caught it. <laughs> Uh, except this IMDb trivia, uh, uh, you know, submitter. Uh, right, right before that, Frank comes in and he goes, "This is your dressing room. They treat you like Toscanini." And we, so that's a cultural reference that sort of flew right by us. Normally, we like to pick those out, but I'm glad I saw this when I was looking at the script because I was like, "Oh, we should have gone like, what does that mean? I don't know. We'll do it for homework next week." <laughs> so here's a bit of forgotten homework. Uh, Toscanini is Arturo Toscanini, an Italian conductor. So it really plays into this episode we're about to watch, the fact that uh, that Frank knows this guy's name anyway. But it's interesting because Jerry was backstage at The Tonight Show, and Toscanini was one of the most acclaimed musicians of the 19th and 20th century, late 19th, early 20th. Uh, he was at various times the music director of La Scala in Milan and the New York Philharmonic. And later in his career, he was the first music director of the NBC Symphony Orchestra from 1937 Whoa. to 1954. So the fact that Frank referenced Toscanini and they're at 30 Rock... I mean, he like connected the dots. I mean, he he was like <laughs> he was throwing back to like an original oh my NBC. God, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's like just so knowledgeable of Frank to go to like to, that name wasn't picked out of thin air. It was like that person worked for NBC and when Frank was a kid or whatever. And uh, yeah, this led to him becoming a household name when he worked for the NBC Symphony Orchestra uh, through his radio and television broadcasts and many recordings of the operatic and symphonic repertoire. And interestingly enough. Since we've already talked about it, uh, and the NBC Symphony Orchestra used to film their concerts in Studio 8H, which is now home to Saturday Night Live. Hmm. Yeah, uh, they moved to Carnegie Hall out after uh, like the acoustics just weren't really good, so they um, yeah, the, the Studio 8H was uh, transformed into a television studio. And later on, I don't know when that was because he was only with the orchestra until '54, and I think he died only a few years after that. So, uh, but 8H was used for TV, and now it's the mostly permanent home of, of SNL. Uh, so all of this, and including this episode, maybe I'll, maybe I'll bring it up at the end of the episode, but the, 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 and I think I've referenced this quote from Jerry Stiller before, but you know, he references Toscanini, this Italian guy, and, and this episode especially. I, I think I will save this till the end, but were, were the Costanzas Italian or Jewish? That's kind of the uh, <laughs> <laughs> like a, a, an unexplained question that We'll get Frank's take on um, after the episode wraps. Don't let me forget that, Ted, okay? Okay. Uh, I'll bring that back up. So, But that's it for now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, do we have any other news or anything? Not that I saw. Okay. Uh, well, um, I guess we should just uh, get into the, the whole spiel then. Uh, if you have never listened to us before, we are not a research-heavy show. Uh, I'm watching these episodes for the first time ever. Tim is watching these episodes for the first time ever in chronological order after being a lifelong fan for years. If we miss anything, if we egregiously skip over anything, please send us an email, send us a tweet at nohugging on Twitter or show at gmail.com. Both of those links are in the description uh, or on the show description page on Apple Podcasts. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts or just wherever you listen to this episode at, and we will send you a no-hugging, no-learning holographic sticker free of charge while supplies last, I should I should Ooh. add. Um, but uh, if, if you do that, send us an email, send us a tweet just showing that you did, or just if you want the fucking sticker, just let us know. I'll give you one. I don't care anymore. Um, that being said, season seven, episode 16, the doll, 
Original air date, February 26th, 1996. I was three years, two months, and two days old. And Tim, if you count this episode and every other episode we have left, we have 51 episodes until we become a, um, I don't know, did, did we talk enough about me now being an online gamer to become an online gaming podcast? I don't think we did. Yeah, but I mean, what are, are those must exist, right? But what are they? Mostly reviews or like just recaps of... What if we just did recaps of your games? Like, all right, so then I you ran there? in and I had to put these wires together. But then someone ran up behind me and he killed me. And I was like, oh, no, now no one's going to know he's sus. <laughs> I didn't hear literally any of that. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> what happened? Was it all this digital distortion or something? Uh, you you uh, dropped out like right after you started talking. <laughs> oh, weird. Do you remember what oh. you said? <laughs> Yeah, I was just, I was like literally just recapping online gameplay. Like, all right, <laughs> oh, so I'd, no. go, okay. I'd go to the room and put these wires together. And then someone ran behind me. I thought it was going to be him, but it wasn't. It was just someone <laughs> going to another room to do their task. <laughs> or, you know what? We could, we could do the show like we're doing now, but it could be uh, Tim plays blank for the first time ever. Yeah, yeah, I, that'd be fun because I've lo- I've I, the last time I played a video game was like Goldeneye. So, oh my god, wow! Actually, Pretty yeah, much. that would that would be that would be good. That would be expensive though, with either yeah. buying or renting every video game. That's why it's all on Patreon, and the first tier is five hundred dollars. Yes, absolutely. So we can buy a, a new game system every week. It's five hundred dollars weekly. <laughs> Oh, and we no. each need one. Like we're 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 remote. So Ted needs a PS5. I need a PS5. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Wait till they start showing up at GameStop. You know, I'm sure that'll happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, okay, so if you are looking at TV Guy the night of February 22nd, 1996, you are gonna see George is dismayed because one of the dolls in Susan's collection bears an uncanny resemblance to his mother. Uh, it's wordy. Very it is wordy, but it's not bad. It's not. Yeah. It's not very bad, I should say. We'll have to see if we can make it better. Uh, I, yeah, I think we're going to be able to, but we'll do that at the end, as usual. And as usual, we start with a stand-up bit, and this is about how pilots uh, always are explaining what they're doing. Um, and this is one of those original, like Seinfeld bits that I remember from, you know, his, just his original act. Uh, you know, I mean, and first of all, it's dealing with airlines, which we know is like the typical hack. Like we've never really been able oh my to God, yeah. attribute like the what's the deal with airline peanuts? You know, what's the deal with airline food? We've uh-huh. never actually been able to attribute that to Jerry Seinfeld, but it's sort of like the hack observational comic bit that everyone goes to. And so <laughs> the fact that this is about and, you know, this like this wasn't really very funny. It Like just going to flash forward to like kind of what Kramer's going to say. It really is kind of all attitude. He's just saying what they do and mm-hmm. like. They're not jokes. He's like, we're going to be going up. We're going to go down. Then we're going to go this way. Then we're going to go yeah, that does, way. Like, does, Jerry, funny. does Jerry tell punchlines? I don't think he does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he certainly has a structure to his jokes, but it's not really set up punchline. <laughs> you know, there's not really a huge laugh at the end. Like, there, it's, it's all just not, kind of no. all the way through. Yeah, it just kind of chuckles all the way through. And so he's like, I mean, I guess his delivery is the punchline here. And then the punchline, I guess, is like, what if I knocked on the cockpit door and was like, I'm going to have the peanuts now. Uh, you know, is, I guess that, that's, is that the punchline? <laughs> that's as close as we're going to get. Oh, like, okay. 
Yeah. I mean, and it is it is a funny observation, but at this point, like, you know, this bit is that, 30 years old. So Yeah, at, at this point, that's all it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it, it was it probably was funny in 1996 when observational humor was new, but now it just sounds so <laughs> rote. But I do like it because I always thought it was I used to so way back in the day, what the the earbuds that they would get, first first of all you had to buy earbuds from the airline because you couldn't just like plug in a three and three point five inch adapter or whatever. Like you couldn't just plug your headphones that you brought into the armrest. Really? Yeah. You, so you had to like buy them for like three bucks from the airline, like three to five bucks or whatever. But here's the thing: they weren't even they weren't even electrical. They were a tube, like a stethoscope that you plugged into these holes that played this music, and then like the music went through the tubes. Like so, literally, if you blew into it. Pfft, you would blow like I would. I love doing that, putting them in my ears and blowing, and then they would sort of like fly out in a funny way, or, or like at least give you a funny sensation in your head. So, but also I would like put them on, and if you like just put the um, end piece in your mouth and the other parts in your ears, and you you could talk like, ladies and gentlemen. Oh my or, god! And I would like pretend to be the pilot. I did it my, to my mom once, and I, it's one of the times I remember like really making my mom laugh like really hard because I was like, hey, put these on, and then I put it on. And I was like. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, or, and like I just remember her laughing at a bit, like she just didn't know what to expect when I when I did that to her. But it was it was the weirdest setup for an audio system. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's really weird. That baffles my mind that that would a work, b be an acceptable like thing to sell to people, and c not be questioned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and even when they introduced electronics into the audio chain, which was probably a smart move, they would all, it, you couldn't plug in. They had like a split headphone adapter. So even still, like they wanted you to buy, because, you know, airlines have just been nickel and diming people for centuries. And so oh, yeah. this was another thing. Like, oh, you want to listen to our crappy onboard music? Well, you're going to have to buy our crappy earphones that have like a split headphone jack that you can plug into two. So even if you plugged in one headphone jack, you'd maybe only hear one <laughs> part of the stereo you know uh, uh you know pl- whatever was playing so yeah they'd still but now i think you can just plug in completely right you've been on a plane more recently than i have yeah yeah you can just plug in any headphones and actually uh last time i was on a plane we were flying for the honeymoon and flying out i believe um we had a stop in chicago and a stop in san francisco and from chicago to san francisco was like four hours yeah and uh we had a, a plane with tvs in yeah. the in the headsets i had never had a plane with tv in the headset and i just plugged my headphones in and watched all of detective pikachu oh yeah, yeah. it was great that, that's magical i don't remember the last time uh, i i had that once as well i think it was coming from from dc to somewhere and yeah we lucked out and got that and was like that was like a first class thing even when it was like first, you know, oh interview. yeah oh yeah i i don't think and i'm I, i'm in my late 20s i don't think i will ever look at that and go and not go oh my god we get tvs yes yeah <laughs> Yeah, for my whole life, I'm gonna be like, yes, we're on one of the TV ones. Yeah, but you know what they're gonna have to do now. And then, meanwhile, there's meanwhile there's a businessman like sitting in the seat, like, (laughs) act like you've been here before. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But you know, I mean, what they're gonna have to do eventually, like, who is going to have a headset with a a cord on it? 
you know everyone's gonna be like hey how do i connect to the bluetooth on this uh thing like mm. well you you can't so this tv is useless because phones won't stop getting rid of their headphone jacks yeah oh my god <laughs> yeah i uh, mean i then- i i do like the convenience of my bluetooth yeah. headphones oh, totally but the latency will always be an issue like, like uh, unless like it, it gets down to like point zero zero one seconds of latency, then I I don't know. I would still rather have corded headphones. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's great. Like I I really only use my Bluetooth headphones for listening to music. I haven't really watched mm-hmm. any video with it. So yeah, oh I yeah, understand. yeah. I, I I use mine for uh for for music and for podcasts. But I, I'll use my Bluetooth for um. Anytime I want to watch a video, but like yeah. the thing is, I just up I just upgraded my Roku, and the Roku I had, I was able to do private listening by plugging my headphones into the remote. Mm. With this new one, I have to use the app and plug them into my phone. So now, if I upgrade my phone, uh. am I not going to be able to do private listening? Am I going to have to do Bluetooth headphones into my phone? that is on the same Wi-Fi connection as my Roku, which is on the Wi-Fi as well, because that sounds like a very big equation for a lot of lag. Yeah, uh, that sounds like what's going to happen. But also, I think we've solved the airlines problem while we were talking about this, because everyone's just going to have AirPods or Bluetooth head bu- earbuds or whatever, and they're going to be able to sell us wire. Like, oh, well, we have headphones well, that you can buy for $5. You know? <laughs> well, I mean, you, the, uh, there's already, like, the Best Buy vending machines in yes. airport terminals. Yeah. Like, oh, hey, are you going on a flight? Would you like to buy some AirPods Pro? Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> like, like, <laughs> for everybody with, like, that level of disposable income to just throw away $300 on a whim. Yeah, it's always cracked me up that they have those. Like, God. Or, 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 like, if you sometimes you're in an airport and it's, like, a Louis Vuitton or something, yeah. you know. Uh, like, like who forgot what? Like, why would you need that out of a vending machine? What kind of weird emergency is this? You know, I you need always like a thousand dollar wallet. Yeah, like I, I always had that thought with the the luggage store, and I'm like, and I was always yeah. thinking, I'm like, we're past the point of checking your luggage. Yeah. Like, who needs luggage here? Until I finally realized, oh, it's for people who have carry ons that are too big. Ah. Uh... Yeah, I guess so. I guess that's the way they make all their killing. <laughs> but that even that can't be too much of a I don't know. Even that can't be too much of a market. No, no, that's that's maybe it's a minuscule market. Yeah, maybe it's people who who bought a bunch of stuff and what. But then maybe. you're still even past. You're still even past yeah. dirty at that point. Yeah. So. I don't know. But what, like, what airlines are, are going to be able to do is sell wired headsets because everyone's going to be like, oh, all I have is Bluetooth. I can't watch the TV. And they're like, oh, well, yeah. we'll sell you one with a wire for five bucks. Problem solved. <laughs> Ew, wired headphones? What is this, 2008? They're wireful. <laughs> Not wireless. They're they're full of wires. <sighs> God, Tim, you and your puns. My God. <laughs> wireful headphones. Um, yeah, uh, so we, we haven't even made it past the stand-up bit yet. <laughs> nope, nope. And it, we're but not gonna, in, in, yeah. in true no-hugging, no-learning fashion, we're a half an hour into the episode and we've made no progress. <laughs> we've actually made more progress than we, you know, sometimes we're not even into the stand-up at this point. <laughs> uh, but we only had a little bit of homework, so thankfully. Well, we're not going to get into the episode yet either, Ted, because we open with a great establishing shot of the Water Club and you see a sign outside saying, appearing tonight, Jerry Seinfeld. So obviously it's some kind of uh, comedy club. 
it is it's not where the show says it is, but it is still where it is in real life. The Water Club is at 500 East 30th Street. It is, a, as they say on their Google page, an upscale floating eatery serving American classics with East River mm. views. Yeah, it's a floating restaurant. I guess, I, I can't tell, because when you go to their website, you can't see a menu or anything. You just It just advertises their use as an event venue. They're like weddings and stuff like that. So, so, um, so let me let me clarify. You said it's not in Memphis, but it is still there today in New York. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it, uh, you know, but but I was able to find a menu. So it, it's a restaurant sometimes, but they maybe they're just focusing on the on events right now this year because they're like, well, the restaurant business, whatever. But people are still doing events, so let's see if we can make that happen. Um, I'm not sure, but. <laughs> Uh, on the menu, you know, it's like uh, ten to twenty dollar apps, unless you want the caviar service, which is sixty five dollars. Mm. Um, yeah, it seemed like for for advertising itself as upscale and for being like kind of a, um, a novelty restaurant, you know, it, it's literally floating, and you can look out on the East River. It seemed pretty reasonable. Like the fillet was forty two. Uh, that, that's that's normal, I think, yeah. for for a restaurant that that fancy. Yeah, totally. Like they do table side service, so they'll make something table side, like the duck. I always, I'll always order the duck. So, and that's like thirty two. The lobster table side is hmm. twenty five. Cocktails were fourteen. Like it didn't seem too out of the way, like crazy priced. And you know, it looks, wow, looks pretty, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, that's that's um, not bad at all. Do you, are you, can you see like the ratings of the place? Because I'm oh. wondering if it's like a, only like a three star restaurant. Yeah, uh, let's see the Water Club NYC. On well, they have out of 384 reviews, it's uh, four and a half stars. Okay, Google. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So people enjoy their time at the Water Club, and you're going to drop some bank, but not not any not any more than you would at any other restaurant. Maybe even a little less. Yeah. Uh, in New York City, in that area. So yeah, it looks good. It's not really a comedy club though. I even looked, and I was like, could you do a com-? before I realized where it was? I was like. This is a this is an exterior shot blunder, you know. It's like they just they needed an exterior shot of something, mm-hmm. like. But it doesn't seem like you. I mean, you might be able to set up a comedy show there, but it's not really. It'd be like a private comedy show. It'd be a weird place to have a comedy <laughs> show. Um, but Jerry is backstage after his comedy show, and he is greeted by Kathy Griffin, uh, aka Sally Weaver. That's her name in the show. She's Susan Ross's roommate from college, and I guess she lives in Memphis now. And Jerry hooked her up with tickets to the show. Um, and so Jerry is not on the banks of the East River. He's in Memphis. And he doesn't have any time to go to dinner with Sally or see Memphis or anything because he's going right to the airport. So she gives him this gigantic <laughs> wedding present for Susan and George. to, And he, like, struggles with it. And she's like, be very careful with it. And did you? here's another thing I noticed about backstage at the Water Club. Did you see this concert poster? No. There's a prominent concert poster right behind Jerry's head the whole time. Ta- the whole time that's like, you know, they designed this set. This is not a real backstage anywhere. Yeah. The head, the headlining band for this concert is called Girls Bones Found. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, Girls Bones Found playing a show uh, with support from Little Monster and Pumpkin <sighs> Ethel. Oh my God! Yeah, pumping Ethel, no doubt a a sexual innuendo slash pun on the name Ethel, but Ethel is spelled E T H Y L, like the gasoline, like pumping gasoline. But I, I'm almost certain that this band thought it was a hilarious double entendre. <laughs> 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 yeah, let's call our band Pumping Ethel. Um, and <laughs> it, it, it took place Friday, January 27th at the Java Zoo. 
So I, there's a lot of information here. I did as much Googling as I could, and I found Girls Bones Found is a real band. As far as I can tell, they had one song on the Dr. Giggles soundtrack in 1992. Do you know Dr. Giggles, Ted? I've never heard of Dr. Giggles. I, so, I'm not sure if I want to hear of Dr. Giggles. <laughs> it's like, you know, uh, um, one of those, like, 90s bad horror movies. I'm sure they meant it meant for it to be good. But um, yeah, it's just it's just a bad horror movie from 1992. The the Girls Bones Found song is called Little Bit of Pain. Unfortunately, it's not even on Spotify. I can't believe it. I can't believe the whole Dr. Giggle soundtrack isn't available on Spotify. Um, but I have no idea. They're probably like new metal. You know, it's 92. Let's. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or, or early new metal, maybe. I don't know what new metal I, might have sounded hmm. like in 92. Because I feel like, you know, bands like. You know who. Really you know who would it. know all about new metal is uh, is the down voter. Yeah. He's a big new new metal fan. Um, but I I feel like if it's if it's nineties, it, it might be like late grunge. Yeah, yeah, that's probably right. Yeah, just kind of like a muddy, yeah, yeah. Grunge. That's probably a good guess too because um one of the bands, one of the other bands on the bill. So Little Monster is like that's ungoogleable. I mean, I, I couldn't find. Oh, but by the <laughs> oh way, oh my you, god, yeah. When you do Google "girls' bones found," even when you put in "band" or "music" after it, like <laughs> you will get a million articles about them finding girls' bones. <laughs> That's like, all you will see. Hey guys, let's make it so no one can <laughs> ever find our music. Oh yeah, good idea. <laughs> it's like uh, no one's ever going to search for music anyway, but in a brick yeah. and mortar Did- store. <laughs> Did did I ever tell you did I ever tell you about the the horror movie I saw at Eerie uh Eerie Horror Fest that know. has like the, the most higher. like ungoogleable name? It was rubber, right? No, not rubber because at, le- at least rubber is so weird enough and, and it, it it at least got some press, right? Yeah, yeah. That uh you can say like, "Oh yeah, the movie with the killer tire." Um there was a short film that I saw one time and I I still think of this. It wasn't a great movie or anything, but like the effects that they had in this movie um were were, were pretty decent, but Tim, this movie was called Found. <laughs> Tr- try look yeah yeah tr- try searching for found movie or found horror movie or f- like it's yeah. impossible it is impossible the the best you're gonna hope for is a <laughs> list of horror movies made with looking like found footage exactly and that's it look, that's all you ever find it found look was it a found footage movie or was it not i hope it wasn't that'll just make it so much better no no what uh what it was about oh, was uh this young kid finds a severed head in his older brother's closet inside a bowling ball bag and it's at that moment he finds out that his older brother is a serial killer that always decapitates people uh-huh. and it's not found footage at all it is not found footage <laughs> no i love no. that I, I want i hope the director the the writer whatever was like yeah we're gonna call it found like well yeah. i mean it's kind of ambiguous, but at least maybe it'll pop up on those lists of found footage movies. Like, not at all. No, not it's at all. Not found footage. Like, no, why? Like, I don't, I don't fucking get it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I'd call that. Um, it, was it campy enough to just call it head in a bag? <laughs> it, it wasn't super campy. Oh, I, I, I mean, uh, the, the one head in a duffel bag instead of eight. You know, you know that movie? <laughs> nope. 
Oh, there's a movie called Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag. Oh, my God. Of course <laughs> yeah. there is. I think it's got, like, David Spade and Joe Pesci or something like that. But this was maybe the prequel. <laughs> <laughs> it's an unofficial prequel that we will we'll watch around Christmas. <laughs> um, so, all right. So, the, the last band, Pumping Ethel. So, that is currently the name of a cover band. But that cover band was formed in 2006. So, well after, uh. the, you know. 10 years after this episode aired. So maybe they got their name from this. Maybe not. But Pumping Ethel is also the alter ego punk band of Seattle alternative rock band His Boy Elroy. And Pumping hmm. Ethel's first, I'm sorry, His Boy Elroy's first and only album came out in 1993. So I think Pumping hmm. Ethel is the alter ego punk band of His Boy Elroy on this specific poster. If, if Girls Bones Found is a real band, then I think Pumping Ethel refers to this uh, obscure <laughs> note in uh, you know Seattle post grunge history. Oh my god! Or maybe mid grunge history. I bet I bet you know ninety three. Of course, we're talking like that's that's grunge right there. So yeah, ninety two and ninety three. We're probably talking grunge bands as far as girls bones found and and pumping Ethel <laughs> and pumping Ethel. Yeah, pumping Ethel. So um, you know, couldn't find anything on Spotify for for any of those. But I just found it really interesting. Maybe I'll try to snap a picture of it. But also, I still can't believe that. They're like, oh, like make a conch poster. Like, all right, can I just make up a band name? No, I want it to be a real band name and make it <laughs> uncomfortable. Like, make people think of little girls being buried. Like, what? What? Why? <laughs> and I want it right behind Terry's head. I want it in view. I want it in frame 100% of the time. Like, I don't understand why they needed this. <laughs> um, so we, uh, we cut to Monks, where George and Frank are eating, and... Frank, now that they're not moving to Del Boca Vista, wants to turn George's old room into a billiard parlor and with a full-size regulation table, maybe a bar. Uh, and <laughs> Elaine comes in at this point, and George insists that she join them uh, because he is having a hard time being alone with his dad and just wants another variable in there, I guess. And Elaine asks if George ever showed Frank that picture that she took in Tuscany of a dude sitting in front of a sign that said Costanza. And Frank thinks that could be his cousin Carlo. And we learn here, interestingly enough, that Frank was not born in the United States. He was born in Italy. And that's why he could, that's what he says, that's why I could never be president. <laughs> that's the reason. <laughs> that, um, that's, that's the one singular reason why Frank could back. never be president. But also it's what's held him back from being interested in politics at all. And he has never voted. And I love the line, if they don't want me, I don't want them. <laughs> uh, and the the maestro might have a copy because I, I don't know what happened to the cop. We, they never really mentioned what happened, why George still can't show his dad that picture. But um, they, it never really comes up why. But the maestro might have a copy of it, but he hasn't called since she spilled wine on an autographed picture of his favorite Italian opera star, the other guy in the three tenors. <laughs> <laughs> Not what are what are the other two? Pavarotti, Pavarotti, and Placido Domingo. Okay, yeah, Pavarotti and, and Domingo, and the other guy. And the other, yeah, he's like, <laughs> she's like, you know, the three tenors, and George goes, yeah, uh, Placido Domingo, uh, no, Pavarotti, Domingo, and the other guy. She's like, yeah, it's the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I was like, wow, I can't believe the maestro was coming up. That must have been like, feels like six seasons ago, but it was or only earlier in season seven. Yeah. I, I guess it's just like, we, you know, we've had such a weird schedule lately. Like I haven't had to watch an episode every week and we had that double episode. It's just like, it felt like, feels like so long. Season seven, episode three 
feels like so long ago. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely thought that we were like almost done with season seven. <laughs> and then I opened up Hulu and I was like, all right, season seven, episode 16, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and then when she said the Meister, I was like, wow, we are going back. Oh, just a thinking <laughs> episode, that's all. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, just half a season, barely. So uh, at the airport, we see the picture of Trump Airlines. Uh, I believe it was the same <laughs> stock footage from season. And now we are going back. Season three, episode 18, the limo. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we noted how prescient, how Nostradamus-like the makers of Seinfeld were putting the Trump Airlines picture in front of the episode that was all about neo-Nazis. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And now they they put the Trump Airlines stock footage right after Frank is talking about being president. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow. That's weird. That's weird. <laughs> uh, if you want our, our deep dive on Trump Airlines, just go back and listen to uh, the season three, episode 19 one. Or maybe I did it in 18. Just listen to both. I don't know when I talked about it. But listen listen uh, it to both. Pre-homework. Yeah, it might have been pre-homework or it might have been post-homework. You're going to have to listen to both episodes <laughs> to find out. Um but uh, I guess I guess Jerry is flying Trump Airlines. <laughs> it, it, you would think that, right? Yeah, that sure seems like it. Because it's just a photo one. of the plane and then Jerry on a plane. Yeah, I think in the limo episode, it was a photo of the planes and then we're inside the airport. So it like really didn't connect. It was like, oh, that's just an exterior of an airport. But this is like picture of a plane, the inside of a plane. I mean, I yeah. have to imagine <laughs> that's what happened. Uh, and Jerry has this huge box on his lap and his carry-on bag, which the flight attendant shoves in an overhead bin and you hear something breaking when she does that and jerry winces uh up in the apartment jerry finds that uh, the the flight attendant has broken a bottle of barbecue sauce that jerry bought in memphis it's all over his clothes kramer's in there uh, surveying the damage as well and the reason he was bringing it back is a guy on the bottle looked exactly like charles groden and jerry was going to use that as the bit on the show uh, that he was going to be on. Jerry was going to use it on the show. Uh, and he's explaining that to Kramer, as I said. And did you make the connection here between... First of all, what's your touchstone as far as Charles Grodin goes? Oh, I have no idea who Charles Grodin is. I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> and so when he said, I'm going to be on the show, did you You probably connected that immediately to Charles Grodin. You're like, it must be the Charles Grodin show, right? No, no. Oh, Okay. <laughs> I I didn't know it was the Charles Grodin show until he mentioned Charles Grodin show by name. Later, I thought it was yeah. just I, I thought it was just like, oh yeah, look at this really cool uh, idol of mine from 1946. I, kn- and, I and he was gonna go on like Jay Leno again or something, even though we just did that. I had a distinct feeling that this was going to be confusing to you, not because you know, not because of you, but just because to a millennial. I had a dist- I was like, this is gonna be so. Even if they know who Charles Grodin is, they're going to go, okay, what show? Why did you just say the show? Yeah. Um, have you ever seen um, Beethoven about the big dog? Yeah. Okay, that's Char- Charles Grodin's the dad in that. Oh, my God. Really? <laughs> I'm trying to think of what else he's been. Do you remember that Martin Short movie <laughs> where he plays a 12-year-old boy? Uh, uh, I don't know. So, wait, they gave the dad from Beethoven a talk show? Yeah, yeah. Well, well before Beethoven, he was. Oh, okay, know, okay. He was a much more appreciated actor. <laughs> okay, and, okay. You know, just just like all those appreciated actors, they sometimes move into those like, well, I can play the dad in a kids movie now. So, well, I mean, look at Daniel Stern. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, 
Clifford's what I was thinking of. That's the movie with uh, Martin Short where he plays. That's a hilarious movie. So we'll do a little Charles Grodin dive, and especially on the. But but after, you know, after his acting career, you know, well after, well, I mean, it's '96 and Beethoven. Beethoven, by the way, is like the first result that comes up for his movies. Beethoven was '92. Beethoven's second was '93, um, and. So, you know, th- then he got his own show on, like, CNBC or something weird like that, you know, like mm-hmm. one of those weird uh, cable networks. And I remember uh, Dana Carvey doing a very funny Charles Grodin impression because he, he he doesn't really have, like, a magnetic, you know, he's not Jimmy Fallon. He's not, like, this enthusiastic personality. He's, like, very CNBC, you know what I mean? I guess it was perfect for CNBC, but, hmm. but, but Dana Carvey did a funny bit, I remember, about the show where he was just, like, would just kind of talk and trail off and then stare. And that wasn't far off from like the real Charles Grodin show. Like I, I, <laughs> I barely remember this being on my radar. It definitely wasn't interested, interesting to a 15 year old kid. You know, it was interesting to be yeah. watch CNBC. Like, well, we're going to talk to, you know, whatever Warren the Warren Buffett or whatever, you know, you'd have like these, um, you know, stuffy guests on, but also celebrities like Jerry Seinfeld and things like that. It was like, I don't know. Uh, this is probably another touchstone that is not going to ring a bell, but Tom Snyder, you know, it was probably a little bit like, or a uh, Dick Cavett. Like they, they were going for that kind of thing. Like that classic seventies, <laughs> like let's sit and talk for 30 minutes straight. <laughs> and like, maybe it'll be interesting. Maybe it'll be funny, whatever. It's just a conversation like that kind of thing. But we'll do a little yeah. Charles Grodin dive. Um, and we'll both watch Beethoven and Beethoven second. <laughs> oh, great. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I loved Beethoven. Did you love that? Oh, I loved it as a kid. Yeah. Yeah, great one, great one. Um, and so the Superman's on the bookshelf and the fridge. I might as well throw in now. Uh, George comes in, and he opens the present from Sally while Kramer is slurping and scraping barbecue sauce off of a shirt <laughs> onto a plate, which he's dipping white bread in. <laughs> yeah, which honestly I feel like is a very Southern thing to do. Like when I saw that, I was like, I was like <laughs> dipping white bread into barbecue sauce. I was like, I'm pretty sure that I probably, I probably did that when I lived in Mississippi, you know? Like, <laughs> um, and uh, George, um, the gift for George and Susan is a welcome mat. And so this welcome mat packed in a gigantic box, which she told Jerry to be very careful with, which he didn't have to be careful with it at all. Um, and it's also really cheap, George says, considering she's a big executive with Federal Express. So Jerry also is like, she works for a shipping company. <laughs> not not only she's rich, but she works for a company that could have done this exact job for her. Yeah, for free, for nothing out of pocket for her, I'm sure. Good Christ. Yeah. Uh, and what's interesting about that, I think, let me see, I think uh, a, a bit of... Um, geographical accuracy here i think fedex has like a huge hub or a headquarter or something like that um in memphis like i think that's pretty accurate as far as like her working for really like, her being an executive for fedex yeah hmm. i remember like memphis was kind of our hub when i lived in jackson so we flew through there a lot and, and i think i remember seeing like just a shitload of fedex trucks and warehouses and stuff like that i'm gonna put that down for next week too because i think that's i think that's a bit of accuracy that they probably didn't have to do like but the set it in Memphis and the barbecue sauce and, and all that stuff. And then she works for the shipping company. Um, I'll put that out for next week. Okay. But uh, Kramer hears about uh, the, you know, George doesn't want the welcome mat anyway. It's personalized. So Kramer hears about the pool table and he takes the welcome mat out to George's parents' house where we cut to. And Frank has installed a full size 
pool table in this tiny little room and <laughs> Frank and Kramer are like are in this tiny little room around this pool table and like talking like pool sharks like ah oh, what's your game and Frank says he plays eight ball but Kramer says he plays straight pool I always thought eight ball was straight pool do you know the difference I have, here I have no idea I'm I'm not a pool shark yeah uh, I, I don't know the differences of uh of types of games of billiards yeah like eight ball is the only game I've played maybe nine ball and I don't even think the rules to that are too different I think you just play with half the balls um <laughs> but I, I'm like I always thought eight ball was straight pool because like that's like the only game I've ever played so but but Kramer's like no I play straight pool but they agree to five dollars a game and Kramer goes to break and his pool cue immediately hits a wall and we get a montage of similar shots, them trying to shoot pool on this regulation table with regulation pool cues and just knocking things over and hitting the wall and, and stuff like that. I, I loved I loved how this was uh, almost entirely uh, dialogue-less. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was great. Yeah. And it wasn't even really – they could have put music over it and made it like a – you know, or something. No, but yeah, it, I, yeah, I think it worked much that. better. I think it worked much better because it's just like the, the sounds of anguish. Yeah, just just like quick shots, like two or three seconds apiece, <laughs> like boom, boom, boom. It like just hits you like every which way. Um, it must have been really fun to film, I bet. I wonder if they were just like, all right, you know, ex- explore the room or whatever. You could probably tell a guy like Kramer that, and, and then maybe Jerry Stiller too would have that sort of, uh, you know, physical comedy prowess. Um, and they could just like, all right, just, you know, do your Kramer thing around the room and we'll film it. <laughs> and then they took the best, you know, five or six or whatever it is. Uh, over at George's, Susan is moving more of her stuff in, and George goes back to the bedroom where she has installed her doll collection, including one that looks exactly like Estelle Costanza. Looks, I mean, they did a great job with this doll. Oh my god, <laughs> it, this this thing was haunting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not only does it look like Estelle, she has like the weirdest, like sinister <sighs> smile. Like yeah, it's 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 really weird. Um, I wonder how they got that made because it's like just spot on. Like they, you know, kudos to the to the prop master that did that. George over George's parents, Kramer and Frank. Uh, Estelle comes into the 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 pool, the billiard hall, and Kramer and Frank <laughs> have been playing for three hours. And Frank goes, "Yeah, we still haven't finished the first game." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, they bring up the picture again. Estelle is like, "It's not him." Um, and I, I guess I kind of glossed over a little bit of how, how important Carlo is to, uh, Frank Costanza. Like they grew up together when they were born together. And then all the Costanzas moved to America, except Carlo's family. And so mm-hmm. his childhood friend, they just lost touch. And, uh, you know, it's a shame like Facebook or ancestry.com wasn't around at this point, you know, we could easily solve this episode, I think, and maybe find, find Carlo Costanza. But, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's this person that he lost touch with when he was very young and, and, uh, Estelle's keeps telling him it's not him. And they're going to go see the maestro to get the picture when the game is over. And that's at that point that Kramer goes to make another shot and puts his pool cue through the window, (laughs) which was a great button on that hole. I mean, the window is like just there. And the fact that they used it to like punctuate the the whole end of the whole scene was like perfect. You know, like they're hitting the wall and like, you know, and and the the triangle, whatever you call that thing is like falling off the wall and stuff. But like the fact that they, they held on to the window was like such a great, great gag to end this uh whole segment with whole sequence um over at george's uh he and susan are about to get busy when george sees that the doll that looks like his mom is in bed with them 
And Susan's like, I used to love sleeping with my dolls when I was a kid. What? Okay, yes, yeah. but Susan, now you're 30. <laughs> yeah. And and also like if you guys are about to if you guys are about to go to Pound Town, why is the doll in the bed? Yeah. There was I think there was like a couple dolls in the bed. There was like another one next to that doll. I'm like, how many <laughs> do you need first of all? And second of all, why choose the one that has a gigantic plaster head? Like that's not the doll you sleep with. Like, you know, something that's all plush. Like, that's what you want in bed. Yeah, and also, like, this is pretty pretty shitty, like, partner behavior from Susan. Yeah. Because George said, like, he said, this yeah. doll reminds me of my mother. It is freaking me out. And she said, oh, no, it's fine. Yeah. Not, oh, really? You think so? I never thought of it that way. <laughs> yeah, so Susan's not all that great either. George, George gets a bad rap, but but Susan's not being great either. <laughs> uh, but George does end up relenting and, and and covers it up with a pillow, like shoves it underneath. Oh, yeah. He like suffocates the, the thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It really was that motion. Uh, probably deliberately so. <laughs> Holding a pillow over his mother's head. <laughs> <laughs> uh, up in Jerry's apartment, Jerry invites Elaine to the Charles Grodin show. Uh, and the other guy is going to be there as a guest to the other guy from the three tenors. And Elaine is ecstatic that she can replace the autographed picture for the maestro and get back in his good graces. Uh, George comes in very disheveled, and I had to rewind this to make sure that he said what I thought he said. I'm on no sleep, bro. George is said, that what bro. he said? Yeah, yeah. I'm on no sleep, bro. What? Yeah, I was like, he did not say bro, and they just let it slide. <laughs> I, like, I didn't even catch this. I didn't even on. catch this. I'm telling you, I had to rewind it like three or four times just to make sure he said, I'm like, he didn't say bro. He said, though, or no, or something like, nope, I'm on no sleep, bro. <laughs> and he says it in like a cool, like disheveled, uh, sleep deprived George is cool. Like that's all he needs to be cool is get less sleep. <laughs> uh, because not only does he um, say I'm on no sleep, bro, but it's because of the doll and the doll is really freaking me out, man. Like, that's oh also, a, he says that in a cool way. <laughs> maybe, maybe what George needs to just become, like, the coolest he's ever been is to never sleep ever again. I think that's it. I think the less sleep he gets and, you know, it's like he's never tried work. You know, he's, like, very, he's very lazy. <laughs> and I think maybe if he just exerts himself a little bit, gets a little less sleep, he could be really cool you know his his vocabulary vocabulary and mannerisms are already there i mean that's gonna carry him you know um i'm on no sleep bro uh susan wants the doormat back because sally is coming to visit tomorrow and she wants it to be out and so jerry's like wait she knew she was coming to new york city and she <laughs> did like later that week and still gave jerry that present to give to george and susan <laughs> and George suggests getting her to bring more barbecue sauce. You know, she can get bottles of barbecue sauce. Like, yeah, Jerry's like, I'm gonna get her. I'm gonna uh, get a whole get her to bring a whole case. Uh, it's gonna be really heavy, and she'll have to bring it on the plane. And Elaine's like, well, that sounds kind of juvenile. And it's at that point that Jerry pulls <laughs> a dinosaur uh, out of his box of honeycombs. Hey, look a dinosaur! Um, <laughs> by the way, a box of honeycombs that clearly advertised a free Looney Tunes figurine. And mm. I, you know, I'm a bit of a Looney Tunes expert. I don't remember a Stegosaurus uh, being part of the Looney Tunes cavalcade of characters. So, you know, mm. I hope somebody got fired for that blunder. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, or at least, you know, maybe they shouldn't have made the box. So, like, you know, it's like so right blatantly there. obvious yeah. that it had a Looney Tune inside of it. Yeah, it's like facing the ca- and the, the text is like two inch high letters. It's a Looney Tune character inside. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love honeycombs, though. Got to throw that in. Love the honeycombs. Um, over at the Queen's Convalescence Center, or as the sign below it says, they do this all the time. They'll put up a, like, CGI. Could you tell that this Queen's Convalescence Center sign was was plastered on, like, post-production? Oh, no. No, yeah, I, yeah. I, I didn't even notice. So it, it, it definitely is one of those cgi signs or whatever they used to do back in the day. But So they'll do this all the time. They'll put the CGI sign up, and then there'll be signage below it that indicates what the building actually is. So that's, in this case, too, I was able to find <laughs> out that the Queen's Convalescent Center is, in fact, Carroll Park Senior Citizen Center, uh, <laughs> which is actually in Brooklyn. And you oh. can see on the window, it says, I could see the number 380. And so I was able to find out that the Carroll Park Senior Citizen Center was at 380 Court Street. And it's now the Eileen C. Uh, Dig- Dugnan, or Dugman. I can't read what I wrote here. The Eileen C. Dugnan Amico Senior Center, and Amico stands for American Italian Coalition of Organizations. Um, and that main door in the exterior shot that, that we see is the Queen Convalescent Center. Um, that's not so. This senior center is now moved like down to another entrance, and this uh, entrance is still there, but it is uh, Kidsville, like a play space, like a little gym. If you're familiar mm. with that kind of thing, as yeah. well, like you know, yeah, you can go in and tumble around and, and jump around. Uh, so it's Kidville, and it's right next to this senior center, which is more or less still there, but in Brooklyn, not in Queens. I I just thought that is an entire like business venture that does not exist anymore because of the pandemic. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Like we were big, we were big little gym. Like we had a membership and and went and everything, and um, and they like ours is still you know they've limited class size and everyone wears masks and you know they even have like private play dates and stuff like that with just like you really and your, but, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so they're 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 trying just like everybody else is to trying their best to step down in the last little shut because it's I guess technically a gym or something. I don't even know. Yeah, but yeah, mm-hmm. they've they've been trying to make it happen as well. Oh um, man! But that's evidently where Maestro is working. It's not really explained till later what he's doing there. Yeah, I, I was like, I, oh, I mean, he's like he's in the office during the day. Yeah, he's got a, he's got a desk, but he also has like the you know the um the dressing room style with the light bulbs and stuff around a mirror, but he's mostly sitting at this desk. And I was like, Oh, maybe he's like a activities director, but he like, you know, he's very pretentious. That's his character. And so of course he would be like, Oh, I must have a dressing room mirror as too, because I am a maestro or whatever, you know? (laughs) Um, So it's, it's pretty confusing until a little bit later in the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But Frank and Kramer invite him to their, their billiard hall. And I love that Frank's like, no, not, we weren't, it's not billiard. Um, and Kramer's like, what are you talking? He's like, no, remember we were calling it uh, something. Uh, uh, and he struggles until he remembers the place to be. <laughs> we were calling it the place to be. And I love that that happened. I love that that conversation happened off camera. It's like, you know, two friends hanging out. It's like, what should we call it? Let's like call it. Let's call it the place to be. You, you want to go to the place to be? Like, I just love. I love that they came <laughs> up with that nickname. And then Frank was like, no, we're not calling it. the We're not calling it uh, the billiard hall. Uh, what were we calling it? <laughs> Um, and the maestro gets up to prepare for the symphony. Again, still really confusing because we're at the Queen's Convalescent Center. And he is pantsless. And he's like, oh, it's an old trick I learned from Leonard Bernstein. To keep a perfect crease, you don't sit in your pants until it's time to perform. And then you put them on. You keep the perfect crease by not sitting in them. 
uh, and Kramer thinks it's genius, I believe. And <laughs> back up in Jerry's apartment, George has brought the doll to show Jerry, and uh, Jerry is kind of downplaying how crazy it is, but also asking, like, well, you know, why don't you just you know get rid of it he's like i couldn't he couldn't destroy it. he was gonna put it in the incinerator but he couldn't do it the guilt was overwhelming and he leaves with the doll and elaine shrieks from the hall as they pass and that's when jerry <laughs> elaine's like oh my god did you see he was like i'm just glad it's out of here like jerry was even <laughs> downplaying how freaked out he was which like i feel like was nice like to his friend yeah like, yeah you, know, you can live with that <laughs> but then when <laughs> elaine's there he's like oh my god yeah and elaine has a poster of the three tenors and Sally comes in and she has brought uh, the barbecue case. And well, oh, hang- before, yeah, yeah, I, I was I was gonna say, did we touch? Uh, I, I think we glossed over uh, earlier. Jerry had given Elaine a recommendation of the yes. best toothbrush he's ever used. Yeah, I didn't think that was gonna be important, so I didn't write it down the first time. But I did write toothbrush here because it comes up again. Yeah, uh, um, the the Aura Dent, I think he called it. Yeah, that sounds right. And and. He's like, hey, did you buy that toothbrush I told you about? She's like, no, I don't. I like mine. He's like, but but this one's better. He like, he can't believe that Elaine will not take his recommendation for a better toothbrush. Yeah, yeah. He says like, I've had your toothbrush. This is better. <laughs> Trust me. And she's like, I do not care. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't care, and he just can't believe that she won't run out just on his recommendation and buy this toothbrush that is a hundred times better than the one she has right now. <laughs> um, and he's almost insulted that she won't take that recommendation. Uh, but Sally has brought up a case of the barbecue sauce. She brought uh, what she calls a special gourmet sauce. So it's not the bottle that has the picture of Charles Grodin on it. It's something else. Uh, something yeah, else she says, this sauce is better. Trust me. Yeah. Oh, that other sauce is, is kind of a joke in Memphis. Like, And Jerry's like, I know it's a joke. <laughs> That's the point. It has Charles Grodin on the bottle. Yeah. But this special gourmet sauce, I mean, you probably noticed, Ted, by all indications, is bullseye. <laughs> Oh God! Available yeah, in that, any grocery spe- store in the uh, world. <laughs> you know that special gourmet sauce. Oh man, Tim, let me tell you about my family's secret recipe <laughs> barbecue sauce. Yeah, uh, it is craft. Oh yeah. What you do is you take bullseye and you pour it into a bowl, okay, and then you mm. serve it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's just, you know my family's from the deep south. We do it right. We do it right. <laughs> you you want to know what does uh and I learned this in college. You want to know what does make like a good like uh barbecue mix is Heinz barbecue sauce mixed with their ketchup. Hmm, I can see that. It's pretty yeah. tasty. I don't even really know what barbecue sauce is. Like I don't know how it comes to be. Like I know ketchup it's is like, tomatoes, but it's like part ketchup and brown sugar and vinegar. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I I can't. Some areas, like the big distinction between some areas is like vinegar or mustard or yeah. Like I think yeah, Carolina yeah. is more mustardy. I think I might be right about that. And yeah, well, I mean, you can have like North Carolina barbecue sauce and South Carolina barbecue sauce. South Carolina mm-hmm. is more traditionally like what we know as barbecue sauce. North yeah. Carolina, I think, is um is more mustardy and then you can actually get like uh georgia white barbecue sauce oh yeah yeah we had that in jackson yeah i loved that what is what, what is what, what is like the main ingredient of that is there is there something white to it is it is it like a like a horseradish or a mayo i would say probably horseradish yeah okay but i remember there was a there was a restaurant called nukes near us that um made a white barbecue chicken sandwich and, and oh man, it was magical yeah it was Ooh. delicious yeah, and then you got Texas barbecue. I don't know what that 
But I feel like Memphis, Texas, Carolina. I feel like those. I feel like I'm missing one. I don't know what the one I'm missing is. But I feel like the, those are kind of the big. The big. Yeah, that there's. Yeah, that there's uh different barbecue sauces for like all the regions of the country. Yeah. It's crazy, yeah. and I want to try all of them. <laughs> um. So where are we now? Oh yeah. Uh. So it's not the one Jerry wanted, and now he's going on Charles Grodin with nothing. He doesn't have any new material. And this was going to be his thing, and now he's got nothing. Uh, over at Monk's, Jerry, uh, I'm sorry, George is eating with the doll <laughs> right across from him, and the doll starts talking in his mom's voice, haranguing him about how he's eating with his hands and too quickly. And then he starts talking back to the doll, raising his voice, drawing attention from the other diners. Um, and he picks up the doll, and as if to like, also like as if the doll is protesting and like because he's like jerking the doll's arm like come on we're leaving let's go you know like that kind of thing <laughs> and um and he runs into dina from i don't even remember who dina is so dina again this was i was like wow this feels like a million years ago uh this was six episodes ago <laughs> oh my so god even even closer than the maestro in in the timeline <sighs> of the show season seven episode 10 the gum dina is the one who thinks george is having a nervous breakdown because he's so like that woman on the horse owes me ten dollars and uh, all that, and then she sees him dressed as King George or whatever later on. Is this this is ringing a bell, right? A little bit. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, what's so funny is Dina's like, you know, he runs into Dina and she says to Ruthie Cohen, the the um, cashier, that man should be in a sanatorium. And Ruthie like sort of nods, like I know. Because it's great that Dean and Ruthie are having this conversation because Ruthie is the one that George thought stole $10 from him, didn't give him back enough change. And so that's why when he was talking to Dina and she's like, you're having a nervous <laughs> breakdown. This, this Lloyd, Bra you're accusing this Lloyd Braun of everything. Like, no, Lloyd Braun, that, you know, that woman on the horse owes me $10. Oh, like, my like, God. Weird stuff. And so it's funny I, that Dina says that to Ruth. I didn't pick up on that. That's great. <laughs> yeah. just It's interesting how many callbacks. I mean, I know it's only two, but that's still two more than most we, we get in, <laughs> in an episode, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's not really that kind of show that calls back an episode, you know, earlier in the season or whatever. Um, but over at George's parents, Frank, Kramer, and the maestro are all pantsless playing pool. Uh, and George, uh, I mean, so George's dad finally sees the picture of Carlo Costanza and it's interesting. The sign says Costanza import export. Wasn't that a great little touch? Oh my God. I didn't even pick up on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whatever this Costanza <laughs> is, it's an import export. So not only what the business that Frank ended up going into, as we know, an importer exporter of religious tchotchkes, but also the, the, what George pretends to be every time he needs a fake, um, a, you know, a fake job is it's always importer exporter. So it says Costanza import export and, uh, you know, Redbubble Studios, uh, Etsy, Seinfeld Studios. If you don't make this shirt, I, I don't know what to tell you. You should get out of business because <laughs> that, that's a moneymaker right there. <laughs> and just keep it simple. Like I hate shirts that, you know, just Costanza import export. That's all it needs to say. People will get it. You don't need to put like quotes from the show all around it or a picture of anybody <laughs> or whatever don't you hate like don't you hate fandom shirts that do that like they try to cram every reference onto one article of clothing and you're like it didn't keep it simple keep it simple wow it, it's almost like you mentioned every other existing seinfeld podcast as well <laughs> i guess 
Um, yeah, and it, the maestro was like, oh, yeah, I recognize him. Uh, I thought this was a very funny joke that it was very subtle because um, he's like, oh, I re-, you know, he's, he's known as a bit of a vi- village idiot. And Frank goes, I still say we're related. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, that Frank is like, well, I'm not a village idiot, but, you know, I, I still say we're related, even though this guy's a village idiot. I love that joke. Um, and the maestro turns up this romantic classical piece that he loves right as Kramer begins spooning Frank to teach him a pool shot. <laughs> and that's when Estelle walks in. I love that she has like three, three Bud Lights and a, uh, a and a bowl of popcorn. Or, I mean, sorry, Bud, they were Bud Heavies, three Budweiser's and a, um, and a bowl of popcorn on a tray. It just looked kind of funny. Not only that, but all three men are pantsless. Yeah, still pantsless. <laughs> yeah, and she lets out an oh my God. Um, <laughs> and uh, back up in Jerry's apartment, Jerry comes up with the idea to use the doll, George's creepy doll, and a picture of Estelle on Charles Grodin, and that can be his bit. He's like, it, "That's pretty funny, uh, is it though?" <laughs> like, <laughs> is that the bit? Like, here's a doll that looks like someone you don't know, but I brought a picture to prove that it does. Yeah. I don't think that's. I don't think that would be funny. <laughs> No, this would have fallen so flat. Like, yeah, not even on a show. I'm pretty sure Carol Grodin's show had no studio audience too. So, <laughs> oh, uh, great. Yeah, I- I'm I'm almost certain that it was one of those shows that's just like spotlit table on a black set. You know what I mean? <laughs> I-, I could be misremembering this. I could be misremembering this, but um, but yeah, I-, I feel like even in that situation, like as dry as Charles Grodin's show was in my memory, anyway that's not funny like how is that funny here's a doll that looks like someone you don't know i don't maybe (laughs) Derry could make it funny like kramer said it's all in the attitude like i forget where kramer tries to come up with material for him but he's like oh it's it's earlier when george is opening the box he's like why don't you do something about styrofoam well where'd all this stuff come from this is we did kind of gloss over this where did all this stuff come from why is it so small and jerry's like where's the punchline and kramer's like yeah, it's all in the attitude. And he like kind of puts his <laughs> eyebrows up and down and kind of makes a funny face. Like, <laughs> I guess just being angry at styrofoam would be funny enough for, for Kramer. Uh, but that kind of goes back to our discussion at the beginning. Like it, sometimes it was just all about the way Seinfeld said things, you know, not the fact that here comes a huge, I'm building to a punchline. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. um, so J- uh, Jerry calls George's place and Sally picks up. And he tells Sally what he wants George to do: bring a picture and the doll. And Sally's like, "Oh, is this for is this for one of your comedy routines?" <laughs> Again, one of those great diminutive ways that people talk about what Jerry does, but m- not meaning to be, but being that way anyway. You know, I mean, it's happened before. Like, "Oh, is this for one of your little? Uh, is this for one of your bits?" You know, like she's excited about it. So, like, "Oh, is this for is this for one of your comedy routines?" Um, and he's like, "Yes," you know. Uh, and <laughs> so she's like, "I'm on the case." Uh, over at George's parents' place, Kramer starts using the maestro's baton to shoot pool, and he sinks every shot that he is using that baton to make um, around the pool table. And over in the TV studio, the other guy is in the makeup chair, and Elaine <laughs> comes in, and she doesn't know his name or anything. Was this really him? Do you have any idea? Oh, I have no idea. But she she immediately yeah. like reads his signature and like thank you, Mr. Camaro. <laughs> yeah. Looks at it again, Mr. Kaseya. <laughs> and then he walks off and he's like, okay, I, I don't need to pretend anymore. 
Yeah, yeah. Like this he knows. Like she was like, "I'm your biggest fan. I can't, you know, I, I love." Uh, and she obviously it was it was a kind of a callback to the Mulva episode where, you know, um, Dolores <laughs> gets the autograph and he's like, uh, "You know, I, I just want to say I'm really enjoying being with you, Uncle Albert, or whatever you know, whatever the actual uh, autograph said." Um, so it was kind of that the opposite of that where Elaine didn't know the autograph giver's name. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I don't know whether, so the other guy I do know, and I think I knew, I think I, well, I haven't looked it up, so maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's Jose Carrera, I think mm. is the other guy's name. Yeah. Which makes Camaro all that funnier. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm going to write really the other guy because they show him mostly from the back, but there are, yeah. there are, there's a profile shot and there's a shot like right on where I'm like, well, why would they do that if this wasn't really the other guy? I'm guessing no, but it is weird that they're like, all right, we, we don't want people to know if this is the other guy or not. So only show him from the front once for a long time. <laughs> um, okay, you're the director. And, and Jerry got Elaine the toothbrush. And it's this tiny little toothbrush in this gigantic box because I guess it needs a lot of uh, protection, uh, Jerry said. And... So Elaine is taking the poster to the Queen's Convalescent Center where the maestro is playing. So now we figure out why the maestro was in this weird office with a table, you know, with the dressing room table and all that stuff. Um, and Jerry takes his pants off and sits down just okay. really befuddling Elaine. Yeah, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to talk about this because, like, the whole point is to save the crease in your pants. But Jerry takes them off makes no effort to protect the crease and then throws them over the top of whatever clothes rack. I'm like, so literally what is the point? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, he puts them on the chair, the, the, uh, the other guy's chair. That's yeah. In the room. Yeah. Um, ma ma and... Makes no effort to like actually hang them or, yeah. or, or do anything to save the crease. Yeah. He, he, he wasn't as careful with them as he should have been if that was his, <laughs> his ideal. But um, yeah, Elaine's just kind of confused and continues to give him a weird look as, as she walks out the door. Uh, meanwhile, over at George's parents, Elaine still doesn't believe that the pick is Carlo Costanza. And that's pretty much all that happens in that scene. But still is haranguing Frank about it. I guess, you know, just to just to continue beating into us that he's being hassled and badgered by Estelle because it's going to mm -hmm. come to a breaking point uh, in a little bit. But uh, oh, back over at the television studio, Sally shows up with the wrong doll because the doll that Jerry wanted was creepy and not funny, and this doll is much funnier. Uh, yeah, she, and... she's like, look, it has a little hat and a bow tie. This one's much funnier. I'm like, <laughs> Sally, what is your what is your point of view on comedy in general? Yeah. Because yeah. I, I don't think it's very well developed. <laughs> yeah, totally. And... The other guy at that point, so now Jerry has, he's at the show, he has literally nothing, and to that point, the other guy, who's eating a huge plate of spaghetti, grabs <laughs> behind him for a towel, but instead of a towel, he grabs Jerry's pants and wipes the spaghetti sauce, and <laughs> yeah. right at that point, the production assistant comes and tells Jerry that he's on. You know, that classic moment where you don't look before you wipe your face with something. You just grab yeah. the nearest piece of fabric. Yeah, yeah. Even if it doesn't feel like terry cloth or whatever you were yeah. expecting, even if it feels like I don't know cotton or, or something like that, and you wipe your face with it, no, no matter what. Uh, and out on the street, Elaine is struggling with the poster and the box. She's on the crowded subway. A guy 
spills a, an entire drink on Elaine, but she saves the poster because that's how <laughs> it was ruined the first time. Uh, uh, some wine got spilled on it. So not not only that, but she avoids running face first into the guy carrying two giant ice cream cones. I missed that. Was that on the street? Yeah, that, that was before. That was before she was plays. in the subway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and so she's protected this poster the whole time. Uh, over at the Queen's Convalescent Center, she gives the poster to the maestro, and he loves it. I liked the way he took off the rubber band. I feel like that was a mistake that they just kind of left <laughs> rolling, and because it takes him like nine times to like do that motion where you're taking a rubber band off of a tube like that. Yeah. But he does it with a flourish, and mm -hmm. Elaine is watching him, you know, but also getting a little <laughs> fed up with the bit too. And like, I don't know, it, it's one of those things that went on probably a little too long, but it really worked. Like, I thought it was really funny. I'm glad they kept that part in. Um, <laughs> and it's his uh, poster of his favorite tenor with those two other guys, he says. So to him, <laughs> that... Jose Carrera is the one, and those are the other two guys. That was a really good payoff, I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you can't remember <laughs> their names, but you know that's my favorite <laughs> And those two other guys. Uh, Elaine, at th that point, he's like, you know what, Elaine? Wait for me after the show. We must celebrate. And at that point, Elaine picks up the toothbrush box, knocking a bottle of wine, <laughs> spilling onto the poster. And uh, that's pretty much all that. Except the, then, th yeah. The, I I'm guessing the entire bottle of wine, the maestro, had planned to drink all by himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, must have. Yeah, what else? Yeah. Um, I wonder if it's like in, uh, I wonder if that's in his rider for his uh, backstage like he has to have a bottle of red wine. The 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 rider for his day job. Yeah. <laughs> um and he goes out to a symphony of about 15 musicians, I guess. I guess you could call that a symphony. Yeah. I don't know what. This is like this is like a chamber orchestra. Yeah, I don't know what the uh, definition of a symphony is, but it's got to be more than 15. Um and he holds up his baton, which is pretty much snapped in half. And he, <laughs> as he notices it, he gets all out of time conducting and uh, essentially ruins the show. And uh, back over at George's, Frank shows up with the picture uh, of Carlo Costanza to show George to confirm that it's got to be him. And it's at that point, Susan's holding the doll and it starts talking to Frank and Frank uh, you know, yelling about the photo and saying no one wants, you know, it's definitely not him. And Frank runs over and uh, pops the doll's head off. <laughs> Jesus, he just snaps this doll's neck. Yeah, it takes a little too long as well. He's like got his hands around the neck for like a, a, an uncomfortable <laughs> amount of time. Like it would have been a little funnier if it just went like pop. But he like has to strangle the life out of this doll. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It went on like uh, it went from like funny to kind of violent. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we do get one, so that's the end of the episode. We do get one last little bit in Tuscany where Frank runs up to hug presumably Carlo and saying, it's me after all these years. Carlo yells something in Italian and then tells Frank that his name is Giuseppe. And Frank picks up this giant box that he was bringing. It looks a lot like, <laughs> uh, that looks a lot like George's Christmas present box, by the way. And he goes, oh, guess I was wrong. And then he walks off. <laughs> I, so... He just picked up and went to Tuscany. Yeah, does he to see his long lost uh, cousin? <laughs> Who paid for that? <laughs> I guess it was all the money they saved by not moving to Del Boca Vista. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Okay. Yeah, and then that—that's the end of the episode. There. 
All right, what do we got for homework in this episode? Uh, so we'll do a, a dive on Charles Grodin. Okay. We will uh, figure out if Memphis does have some sort of headquarter or hub, uh, if FedEx has a hub in Memphis or something like that. Um, what is straight pool? And what is the difference between straight pool and eight ball? And Ooh. was that really Jose Carrera in the episode or some actor who maybe didn't know that he was going to be shot from the front? Uh, <laughs> in the backstage <laughs> of the Charles Grodin show. And uh, that's pretty okay. much it. All right, what do you like visually about this episode for cover art? Um, I mean, it's got to be the doll. I mean, it's called the doll. Yeah. It's got to be something I, with the doll. I, I, I was thinking, like, the first shot of the doll on the shelf with the other dolls. Yeah. I think that's fine. Okay. And uh, <laughs> what do you... Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, let's see if we can come up with a better description. So okay. we had, George is dismayed because one of the dolls in Susan's collection bears an uncanny resemblance to his mother. Uh, I mean, that is what happens. <laughs> <laughs> but there's so much more to this episode. Like, you want to include something about, you know, there's there's the the maestro reemerges. There's the whole pool thing. There's the picture. There's there's Sally Weaver. You know, um, let me see. See, I, I the... think I think a lot of those are best kept as surprises. Like we we don't need to we don't need to mention the maestro. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't think we need to mention. Uh, I don't think we need to mention Sally. Yeah. Um, I, there's, there's just so much you can take out of that then George, cause like George is dismayed that a doll from the Susan's collection, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like maybe like just George is freaked out by a doll that looks like his mom. That crazy. I mean, I guess I you can say dismayed still if you want to. Yeah. Cause I mean the, the way this is written sounds, I, I obviously I know it's not, but it sounds like it's just proper just for the sake of lengthening it. You yeah. know, yeah. dismayed because one of the dolls in Susan's collections bears an uncanny resemblance to his mother. Yeah, I'm yeah. Like, Way too verbose. Especially for this show. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. So can we say that, I mean, you can keep dismayed if you want. I'm fine with freaked out because he, he uses that word. You know, he uses that term later on. Um, you know, George is freaked out by a doll that looks like his mom. Is yeah. That... Yeah. I think that works. All right. We did it. <laughs> All right, so next week, we've got Season 7, Episode 17, The Friars Club, original air date, March 7th, 1996, and if you are looking at TV Guide that night, you are going to see Jerry's relationship with Susan's best friend is impaired by a jacket, so let me get this straight. After ruining literally everything, <laughs> Jerry and Sally Weaver end up dating. I don't know if this is Sally Weaver, but I know that... <laughs> Well, then it makes almost, she, it makes so little sense putting this episode right after maybe this one. Her. I don't put her in this episode in my memory, but, um, <laughs> but maybe it, maybe it is her. I don't, I don't think it's her. Not that we, we haven't seen the last of Kathy Griffin. I can tell you that. Okay. But the weird thing is, I don't know if she plays Sally Weaver when she comes back. She must, but it's just so funny that you, you talk about how she has no, mind for comedy and the fact that we're going to see her again in the way that we're going to see her again oh, that's boy. why i'm like maybe she doesn't play the same character i mean that'd be you know seinfeld would do that it's just <laughs> coincident later on that like kathy griffin became so famous that you and i would go why would they get kathy griffin to do this twice like well in 96 she wasn't 
Kathy Griffin, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't think she was. I think she was just still like, you know, just an actress trying to make it. Um but yeah, so it, I I don't put her in this episode, but maybe it is her, but it's a good episode. Um I'm I'm up for it. What did you think of this episode? I think I liked talking about it better than watching it for some reason. I'm I'm in the same boat. Like it definitely uh there there were some good payoffs. Um, like I mentioned, the and those two other guys yeah, uh, talking yeah. about uh, Carrera, um, but a, a lot of it, I don't know. I I did like finally seeing the doll because that's one of the things that uh, that I, I feel like is always memed with Seinfeld, but I had yeah. no reference to it. Yeah. Um, but like, so that was interesting. But the the episode as a whole is eh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'll agree. I, I don't think I would star it, but, um, you know, talking about it made me appreciate it uh, a lot more. I was like, yeah, maybe this was okay. Not that I wasn't not enjoying myself, but, um, yeah. So the last thing I wanted to mention was, were the Costanzas Italian or Jewish? So I think I've referenced this bit before, um, but in a video appearance at the Museum of the Jewish People at... Oh, boy, I'm going to... Should I even attempt this... Uh, Probably not. What would this be, Hebrew? (laughs) Okay, I won't. Um, It looks like... I will. It looks like... uh, Oh, God. It looks like be it hat foot sot, but I'm sure that's wrong. Uh, I'll just say the Museum of the Jewish People Gala at the... How is it it spelled so that we can have someone correct us on Twitter? B-E-I-T. That's the first word. Okay. And then H-A-T-F-U-T-S-O-T. That's one word. Okay. And that's it. Okay. The museum. Uh, so the so, so someone someone who knows Hebrew or someone who is Jewish, please let us know how this is pronounced. Yeah, if does we, Twitter still do those audio tweets? Uh I don't know. Do they? Or or can you I, I thought they were trying that for a while where you you know, it was like someone's face and then like They may they may I think they were doing that right when they killed off Periscope. Yeah. But I don't know if they still do that or not. Oh, send us a video fleet. I think you can do that. Ah, uh, yeah. Do that somehow <laughs> or or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and just and say it correctly, and we'll try to drop it in next week if anything. <laughs> we'll 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 turn it into a liner that we drop into every show. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so at this gala for this museum at the Mandarin Oriental in December of 2018. Jerry Stiller said, quote, we were given the name Costanza, which sounds Italian. And obviously we know from this episode, Frank Costanza was born in Italy. Um, But but here's so here's where his theory breaks down. There were episodes where I cooked Jewish food and ate knishes and Kasha Varnishkis in bed. Um, And when people ask me about this, I would simply say it was because we were a Jewish family in the witness protection program. But if anything, maybe it's. Maybe it's the opposite that, well, because no, he was born in Italy. Well, okay, maybe maybe they're an Italian family and they're really bad at being in the witness protection program, acting like a <laughs> Jewish family. I could see that be being more of it. You know, I mean, because, like, first of all, someone born in Italy, like, you're going to need you – know, you could get involved with something, especially being in the import-exporter business, that you might need to be in the witness protection program for later. I'm accusing oh, yeah. Frank of being having mafia ties. I mean, I don't think it's that far out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, and so I think he's. I think they're an Italian family that is bad at being 
And they just kept their name, too. So they're really bad at the... <laughs> they're really bad. Damn. They're really bad at the witness protection program. Maybe you have to take that part out of it. I don't know why. You know what? He's just an Italian guy who has an affinity for Jewish foods. I, I don't know what it is. But but that was his little... I guess, you know, it's definitely... it's It, it can't be canon because of what we learned in this episode. But unless... <laughs> maybe, maybe Frank's... I don't know. Maybe he's just that good at... Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe he's just that good at pretending he was born in Italy and he's really Jewish and uh and in the witness protection program and that's his backstory you know he might still have a a cousin carlos that lived there i don't know (laughs) i don't know this needs a lot more work than i think we can do at the end of this already way too long episode i can't believe it oh my god yeah (laughs) and that's with only having 15 minutes of homework yeah all right is that it yeah that's it (laughs) all right for not hugging to learning i'm tim murphy i'm ted hollowell be good